Welcome to Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to mental, physical, and emotional health from the Black woman's perspective. Tune in to hear from Black woman health and wellness experts giving the approachable advice you need to help you feel your best. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Let's dive in. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Balance Black Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Les, and I am honored to be sharing this space with you today. Last month, I took time off from recording and releasing new content, and it's been a minute since we've shared a new interview, so let's get into it. Today, we're talking all about what financial wellness looks like in 2021 with our guest, Ornella Yovo. Ornella is a coach at the financial gym and is passionate about helping people achieve their goals, relieve anxiety around money, and make money moves happen. As an avid advocate for women and minorities, she has spent years providing financial education and guidance to those in need. She wants people to know that you can still live the life you want while working towards financial stability. Having worked For a large wealth management organization, Ornella has learned the tools to build and maintain long-term wealth while also keeping in mind the human and emotional aspects associated with money. She hopes to empower people to embrace the conversation around their finances and offer a comfortable environment to do so. I love talking to Ornella and really appreciated her realness in this conversation. We talk honestly about how the pandemic has impacted our finances, the importance of investing in rest, and practical ways we can work towards building generational wealth. So let's get into it. Ornella, welcome to Balanced Black Girl. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. I'm excited to be on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So financial wellness is super important. It's something that we've talked about on the podcast before. It's something that's very personally important to me. And I think what we've experienced over the last year or so is a lot of changes around kind of how we define that and what we do there. So I'm excited for you to talk to us about money in 2021 because there's a whole lot going on. But before we do that, I would love for our listeners to get to know you better. So can you tell us a little bit more of your story and about your background? Yeah, of course. So my name is Ornella. I am from Jersey. So if anyone from Jersey is listening, I am repping hard. And I've always been a financial wellness advocate, I think for years now. Like I graduated with a degree in finance. And for me, it was always about giving back to my community and finding a way to spread the knowledge of wealth building and financial literacy to everyone. I worked in a large wealth management company before starting at the financial gym, which I'm at now. And I just learned so much around like wealth building, investing and so on. And I felt like that information shouldn't be exclusive to the 1% or those who are, you know, have crazy bank accounts and so on. So that's why I ultimately transitioned to the financial gym. And our motto is really financial education for everyone. So we make it very affordable. We take a um, approach very similar to like a a personal trainer at a regular gym, right? But we just do um, personal training for your finances. So we make it very accessible to people and we just bring it meet them where they are and share the information from there. 
That is so dope and honestly so needed because, I mean, just like you said, I think having solid financial education is not something that's widely taught to a lot of us. It's not something we learn in school unless your family knows. I mean, it's not really something that your family can teach you because so many people are focused on just kind of getting by and that's what Mm -hmm. they pass down. And so kind of lifting the veil for that information is so important. I absolutely agree because I know for my parents, it was still about getting by and just making ends meet. And I wouldn't want that to be the case for my children. So, you know, it's very important to me to educate myself, educate those around me, educate people in my circle and, you know, ultimately be able to pass that down to the next generation. Absolutely. Have there been any kind of defining moments that you've had that have really shaped your relationship with money and and what made you kind of interested in finance in the first place to take this path? Yeah. So I feel like I was always one of those nerds that was into (laughs) money in the first place because I started this whole like interest in finances in like the eighth grade. And for me, it was really just like my fascination with how money was made. I was always interested in like how people got rich or how people got wealthy. And this really came to terms around the um, 2008 recession. So I'm 25 now. So I was, I guess, like maybe eighth grade or ninth grade when the recession happened. But I saw how it was affecting like so many people around me. And I just wanted to understand what was happening. And then like fast forward to COVID now, where we can consider this like a another form of recession that happened in 2008. It's just come around full circle in terms of how the principles from back then are still affecting people now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to talk a little bit about that because there is some kind of general financial information that I think even if people don't have, you know, a solid financial education, they probably heard advice before around budgeting or maybe why investing is important or things like the importance of, you know, matching your employer 401k or things like that. But with where we're currently at with COVID, with kind of the economic fallout that's happening there, are there any things that you think people should be doing differently as we approach financial wellness kind of going into 2021? Yeah, I think this year, 2021, is COVID has rocked us in so many ways for the past couple of months. No one saw it coming. But now to really prepare for 2021, people should be taking inventory of their finances and just understanding where they are and where they're starting the year with because so many people were caught off guard when COVID happened and like, you know, you lose your job, you weren't expecting to lose your job. So many people live paycheck to paycheck, unfortunately, in the United States. When something like that happens, it kind of rocks your whole world, right? But now we've all been through it. We've all kind of like subsided from it a little bit. Starting the year, you want to know, okay, how much do I have in savings? How much do I make on a monthly basis and what are my expenses, right? You want to make sure that you have those numbers so that if you need to adjust and you need to do anything different, you can start proactively thinking about that as opposed to, you know, something else happening again that like completely throws you off because we're, you know, I keep hearing about this new resurgence of COVID and lockdowns are going to happen again. And I would hate for people to be caught off guard twice. Absolutely. No, that's such good advice. Preparation, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. is one of those things that's so important. And what's so tricky about so much of this is how a lot of factors are 
outside of our control as individuals, just in terms of if someone is furloughed or loses their job, you know, that's not at any fault of them or as an individual. And then figuring out how do we kind of manage that reality of, yes, these things happen that we couldn't control and what is within our control that we can support ourselves and one another through what's happening. Yeah, I think the things that are in our control to an extent is being able to build an emergency fund or build some kind of cushion while you do have income. And, you know, a typical emergency fund should be between three to six months worth of your expenses. But I encourage people just start where you are, right? Even if it's saving $50 a month or saving $100 a month, whatever the case may be, just start saving something so that at bare minimum, you know, if you were to lose your job, you can sustain for a month or two to help get you to that next milestone where you can find another job or you can find a supplemental stream of income because not having cash on hand is the hardest thing to deal with in a pandemic. Absolutely, for sure. So it sounds like having an emergency fund or just some sort of little something to hold on to or pull from when we need it is a really good first step for kind of having your financial strategy in order. Are there any other things that you recommend people do or or any kind of specific actions that are important for when we're really looking to get financially fit? Yeah. So building off of that emergency fund, right? Sticking to that three to six months worth of your um, expenses, that is a non-negotiable thing for me. Is that, you know, I need to make sure that you're good if anything was to happen. But also just taking into consideration where you have the ability to cut expenses when you can. And it's the smallest things that you don't think about, like a gym membership that gyms are closed. You can't go to the gym anyway, but you're still paying for it. Those kinds of things, like finding ways where you can cut expenses. And then also, I like to tell people to compartmentalize their finances. So you should essentially have different accounts for the different goals and the different things that are important to you, right? So you have your emergency fund. That's a a non-negotiable account that you have. But let's say you're saving for a house or you're saving for a down payment, right? You should have another account there. If you like to travel, you should open a travel account and travel savings account there, right? Because what you don't want to do is use your emergency fund to travel. And you don't want to use your travel fund to buy your house, right? Like you want to separate these things so that each dollar you have has a job to do and you're not commingling the funds. That's such good advice. Something that I started doing this year that was super helpful was changing my direct deposit at work so that certain amounts Mm -hmm. go like, you know, half of my paycheck goes into bills and then like 20% automatically goes into savings. And then what's left is like, you know, fun or whatever. And even just doing that has been so helpful and made it so just streamlined so that I didn't have to think about moving things manually or wouldn't be tempted to like... Exactly. Mixing and matching. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the best way. Like if you set your savings automatically, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. You didn't even expect that money to be in your account. So you don't spend it as much. Whereas when you see, oh, I have an extra hundred dollars, you feel more inclined to spend it when you know that you really should be saving it. Totally. Yeah. Something else that I think of too, I think being mindful of the jobs of our money is super important in cutting back expenses as needed 
And then I'm also thinking about ways that like we can have more money, right? <laughs> um, because I think I think what is hard for people when it comes to conversations around money and budgeting is like people know things that they can cut. And I think especially this year, you know, it feels like we've had so much taken away from us that if people do still kind of have those comforts, maybe cancel that might be hard for some people. Are there ways that we can also look at being creative about bringing more money in to also maybe not feel as deprived? In terms of like the cutting expenses part, it's expenses that you absolutely don't need, right? That I wouldn't necessarily tell you to cut. And also in terms of like setting your non-negotiables. So maybe Netflix is your thing or like maybe travel is your thing. Set that for yourself and know that, okay, no matter what, I'm going to spend some money on it per month is just a thing that's going to happen. And it just gives you joy. So that is, you know, I always encourage that. In terms of finding more income, the, I'm a avid side hustler. I love side hustling. And I think it's super important just because like one, not only does it um, allow you to gain income, but it gives you this independence and motivation that your job might not give you. Right. So number one ways to find a side hustle, it's usually skills that you're already good at or things that you're already good at. You just don't know how to monetize yet. This year, I started uh, bookkeeping and kind of like business consulting business. And for me, it was because I've ran a business, I've opened the business, I know the logistics of that, and I understand bookkeeping and accounting very well. It was a skill that I was already using that I didn't monetize, right? So think of all the people who have skills in like social media management, content creation, um, baking, right? you can bake cookies and, and sell that to people. So the side hustles that you can make are really probably things that you're already doing as hobbies. You just don't know how to monetize yet. Mm, that's such, such good advice and such a good example with your book. I'm thinking I'm like, I need to have a separate conversation with you so I can hire you for for bookkeeping. But totally, I think sometimes when it comes to thinking of creative ways to bring in income, we want to reinvent the wheel. And it's like, what's something that you're already good at that you already know how to do? Can you do it for somebody else? Can you charge someone for it? Can you help a local business do it? Or, you know, like so many ways to get creative with things that you already do. Exactly. And you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? Uber didn't reinvent taxis. They just did it better. So that's what I tell people, like, whatever your gift is, just do it better than the competition. And you'll see that people will flock to you because of what you're doing and how you do it differently. Mm, I love that. Oh, that's good. (laughs) I would like to talk a little bit about investing as well, because I think investing is one of those things where if you know, you know, but if you don't know, you don't know. For our listeners who might be interested in investing but have no idea where to start, can you give us like a really high level version of kind of what it is that we need to understand or what we should look to learn more about if we're interested in investing? Yeah. So investing, it can get really complex really fast. And I've seen it happen on Instagram. Like I always go down rabbit holes. (laughs) But the biggest thing to understand with investing, it's two, two things, right? You have stocks, you have bonds. Stocks are equity ownership in a company such as Apple, Tesla, any one of those. Bonds are um, debt obligations of that company. You lend the company money, they pay you interest, right? So once you take that, you kind of run with it 
from there as like your basic premise, right? So when you're investing and you're thinking of companies to buy, I recommend like when you're doing your research, I always say do your research, but like understand the companies that you're thinking that you're looking to buy, right? Like everyone wants to buy Amazon, everyone wants to buy Apple. And I think that's good, right? But understand what they're doing that's making them different. Um, How their share prices are trending. Is it even a share price that you can afford, right? Because Amazon's at like $3,000. I couldn't afford to buy a share of Amazon even if I wanted to, right? So understanding kind of like how much buying power you have And also, I would say, like, as we're thinking about investing to, like, build wealth and ultimately grow our wealth, you don't want to invest money that you need in the short term because the markets are always going up, down, sideways and all, right? So what I would hate is for someone to invest their emergency fund and the market tanks, like how it's been doing, you know, this whole year. And then you don't have an emergency fund anymore because you put it into the market, right? So investing is really in excess of the money that you have saved as your emergency fund and your like cash reserve as well as um you know it's money that you wouldn't feel too bad losing if you did lose it but again understanding that you should be level-headed when you're investing as well so you know going into it understand that stocks are going to go left, right, up and down. If you aren't comfortable with that, then you might want to take a little bit more conservative route. You might not, you know, start with like $100 or $200 instead of putting a full $1,000 or whatever in, and then it goes down and you're selling everything because that's not helpful. Totally. That totally makes sense. Do you have any platforms that you recommend folks check out if they're new to investing that are either user-friendly or easy to understand or that make, you know, buying stocks or bonds simple? Yeah. So there are two schools that you can even go into investing in general. So there's the robo-advisor platform. So anything like um, Betterment, Wealthfront, Elvest even, where it's an algorithm that does the investing for you. You can kind of just set it up and say, hey, I want to invest $100 each month. And um, I have this goal that I want to reach in the next 20 years. Just do the investing for me. I think robo-advisors are super easy for people who don't have a lot of money to start initially, but want to invest something. And you also don't you know, want to deal with the day-to-day of like having to read Barron's or read any of the Wall Street Journal articles that go along with investing. You can still kind of do it but it's on auto autopilot so that's like the easiest version if you want to be more involved and you want to be the person to do all the research super easy apps to get started are like robin hood investing is free on robin hood platform um you can even also open an account with like fidelity vanguard any one of those um traditional brokerage places and you can just start purchasing stocks here and there and growing your portfolio from there That's great. And as far as other investments, such as like retirement funds, right? Like we hear some of these things thrown out where it's like IRA, 401k. Are there any options that are better than the other? Do we need multiple? If you have a 401k, do you need an IRA? How do you know which option is the best option for you in terms of that type of investing? Yeah. So a 401k is your employer sponsored plan. 
And that's if you work at a for-profit company. The um, parallel to that is a 403B for people who work at nonprofits. Your 401k, I always recommend investing in that because that is the vehicle that allows you tax benefits for investing and or saving for retirement in general. And nine times out of 10, your company might have some kind of matching program or some other incentive to help you um, save for retirement. So if your company does have some kind of matching program, it's like free money. Let's say they match 5% or 100% up to 5% of what you put in. So if you put in $100, they're going to put in $100. That's just free money that you're getting. So I encourage people, look into your employer-sponsored retirement plan offer and just see you know, if they're matching. If not, still contribute to it because you know that is your tax advantage way of saving for retirement. The max for um, 401k and 403b contributions is 19500 So if you have that much on a yearly basis and you can put into your 401k, then do that. You'll max out the 401k. Then the IRA, which is the individual retirement account, that's really helpful if you've already maxed out the 401k and you have a limit of um, $6,000 per year that you can put into your IRA. And IRAs are good because they do allow you a little bit more flexibility. With your 401k, you probably just get the funds that your employer you know, has set up for you. But with an IRA, you can essentially buy whatever funds and things that you'd like to buy on your own. Got it. So the $19,500 is like the maximum amount that you could put into a 401k each year. Does that exactly. count? Is that just of your own money or does that count like match total? That's how much money can go into it. Yeah. So that's matched. So even with the employer match, that is the maximum that can go into it. Okay. Got it. So you can't get like yeah. you put in 19K and your employer could. <laughs> no, they will stop you and you'll probably have to pay penalties and things okay. for going overboard. And it's also subject to change because it does change every year. Awesome. So what about for entrepreneurs? You know, if we have entrepreneurs or people who are self-employed, what is a good route for them to go in terms of saving for retirement? Is that when it's like, oh, definitely do an IRA or are there other options for our self-employed folks? Yeah. So there is a SEP um, IRA, which is a self-employed IRA. I'm not 100% sure on like the maximum for that, but that does allow you to put away a lot more for retirement. I think for the SEP IRA, it does allow you to put away a lot more as a self-employed individual, and then you can still do the IRA as well. Then other ways of investing in general, outside of like, you know, the tax advantage and beneficial ways to save for retirement, also opening a traditional brokerage account is helpful because either way, the goal is to save and invest for retirement. If you have to pay taxes on it, taxes are not the worst thing in the world. It means you're doing good. So, um, you know, I still encourage that. Got it. No, that's good to know. I think, you know, we have we have a lot of folks in our community who are entrepreneurs and who are interested in entrepreneurship. And so I think that mm-hmm. is kind of a big challenge for those who, who don't necessarily have that automatically set up by an employer, um, making sure we're still preparing for that. I know. And, you know, even having a spouse, Like if you have a spouse, you can also kind of like 
you know, you guys are saving for retirement together. So if they're not able to max out their contributions, but you have a little bit of income as well, then just, you know, contribute to their 401k. Got it. Got it. Awesome. So I'd love to, I mean, kind of on the topic of entrepreneurship, I'd love to kind of also talk about kind of finances for entrepreneurs too, because I think over the past year, it's been really tricky depending on the type of business folks have um, for small business owners, especially if people have like a brick and mortar, physical location, things like restaurants, you know, maybe boutique fitness spaces, things like that have been hit really, really hard over the past year. Um, And then, you know, for folks who maybe do other things where they maybe have something digital or have like a digital community or virtual fitness space or something, it's probably blown up. So I'd love to just talk a little bit about kind of your experience with entrepreneurship and and how you recommend folks approach their business finances. Yeah. So a little fun fact, I opened the restaurant in January and that was like a interesting set of choices for me to do, but I opened in January and then COVID hit in March and I unfortunately had to close as a function of COVID. So Mm. I firsthand know what being a part of the restaurant industry is like when COVID hit. And for me, I think honestly, like, even though I was really pissed off about all the money that I like (laughs) used as a function of it, it was a huge learning opportunity for me and just like firsthand managing a business, running the day-to-day of a business and understanding like real business finances. And the one thing I would say for entrepreneurs, if you don't want to do your bookkeeping, hire someone else to do your bookkeeping because Outside of the fact that you need it for taxes, you want to know how your business is doing at any given point in time, right? For me, I'm a spreadsheets and number person, so I naturally understand those things. But the breaking point for me when I decided to close my restaurant was that I sat down, I made a spreadsheet, and I said, okay, I'm making X per day. If I continue to do this, will I dig myself into a hole that I can't get out of? Like, will this make logical financial sense? And when I did the numbers, my spreadsheet said, hell no. And so for me, I was like, all right, the the spreadsheet spoke. So that's, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't do exercises like that, but I encourage you to. And even if it's not to decide whether you want to close or not, but just to understand how's my business doing? Am I actually making a profit or am I just spinning my wheels? Am I losing money? Or like, what do you need to do to get to that next level, right? Do you need an investor? Do you need to take out a loan? Or, um, you know, do you need to pivot your business in a way that you haven't, haven't thought about yet? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. And I'm like, so sorry that you had that experience. Just the timing of that is like, so tough, but it does sound like you pivoted, learned super well. And I think even your advice of like that exercise that you did of just going through the numbers, I think that could work so well for business owners and also just any kind of big financial decision of like, what am I gaining from this? And really weighing that out is just such a good habit to get into. Yeah. I read a book that 
called it like the weighted average cost of a decision or something. And to me, it just made sense immediately because if there's a formula to something, then I can process it. I process everything in formulas, but you know, sometimes people need that push as well. So that's why I always encourage entrepreneurs to like talk to a consultant or like talk to someone about their numbers. Because as entrepreneurs, we're always like so excited about the business idea that we have, right? It's like, we just keep holding on. Our big break is going to come, but sometimes that break doesn't happen. And having someone that's objectively looking at your numbers and saying, oh, this doesn't make sense. I think that's super important. Yeah, that's such a good piece of advice. I think especially for folks who do tend to be more of the creative or who kind of earlier we were talking about like building a side hustle out of that skill. If you've spent so much time honing a skill, but you haven't had experience either in operations or with the financial piece that is so important, it can be really hard to to be balanced in all of those areas. And so bringing in help can be major. Super major. Yeah, but also like really hard. (laughs) I understand all sides. (laughs) No, I cried for like the first week I cried. And then I was like, you know... It is what it is. Uh, I definitely think like I'm a stronger um, business owner and like entrepreneur and I think very differently as a function of it. So I don't, you know, I'm not mad about it or anything. And of course I'm in debt because of it. But as a financial advisor, I also navigate myself out of those situations. So, you know, we're getting there. Yeah. And I mean, such an amazing thing that you're 25 and you like had launched a business like that, which I'm sure was not easy to do. And it's, you know, I really wish that the the circumstances could have been different for you. But even still, what you've done is amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, because that's not easy. I'm an internet business gal. So like the <laughs> idea of any sort of physical location, brick and mortar, anything, it is always like hats off because I'm sure that's not easy. Yeah, I wouldn't do brick and mortar again, though. I don't knock anyone that does it. It takes a special kind of like patience to do brick and mortar. I just wouldn't. <laughs> Listen, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> so something that you just mentioned stuck out to me where you said that you are kind of you are one of those like numbers people. You do like a good equation. I think that there are a lot of people who maybe don't feel that way and they're not like it just they don't really like maybe crunching numbers or don't necessarily think in that way. And so that has maybe shied them from maybe being as involved with their finances as they could be or being really proactive in that area. Do you have any advice for people who maybe feel that way of things that they can do to kind of baby steps they can take to make that feel less intimidating so that they want to be more involved in their finances? Yeah, I am a proponent of like a good app. So you can always find like a good app to kind of help you. And even on like both the personal and the business side, right? Um, On the personal, using apps like Mint or Truebill or even You Need a Budget where very simply you can put in some numbers and like give yourself a budget. That is at least the, the first step to getting there. Um, And on the business owner side, like signing up for something like QuickBooks or even something like um, HoneyBook where you can kind of like track expenses and like track your invoices and create a system around those things is super duper helpful. And it kind of gives you that momentum. I also say like seek someone that's doing it, right? 
at the financial gym, we work hand in hand with our clients to kind of help coach them through those things. You know, like whenever my clients start, I will um, make a financial plan for them and we go through each aspect of their life. So how much should they be saving for emergency? How much should they be saving for anything else? What does it look like to get to retirement? I break that all down for them. So it's not intimidating as if I was to just give them this paper and say, all right, go, go figure it out. It's someone working, walking them hand in hand. And that's the same approach that I take with my bookkeeping clients. You know, we sit down, I review their profit and loss statements with them. And I say, hey, you spent a lot of money this month on X, what happened here, right? And we can have a dialogue around it. And I think there's something about having a human explaining these things to you that is so much more effective than like any spreadsheet or app could ever do. So I say like, if you are, you know, not comfortable talking about numbers, find someone who will talk about numbers. That's such good advice. And I I appreciate the way you explain that because I think a lot of people, I know I've kind of had experiences like this in the past too, also where it's like you want to ask questions, but like the maybe the people or the resources you have available to you are just like not making it feel like a safe <laughs> space to really ask those questions, even if they're, you know, whatever level of question you have or anything like that. And I think having those trusted resources or people who truly do want to help and who aren't going to judge you for the questions that you ask is so, so important. Yeah. And again, you're paying them for their time, right? So if anyone makes you feel like you can't ask them questions, then they're not the right person for you. And I say that for accountants, bookkeepers, lawyers, anyone, if they, if you ask a simple question and they act like they can't be bothered, then they can't be bothered with your money either. And that's that. I like that. (laughs) I really like that. Can you tell us a little bit more about the financial gym? Like we've kind of touched on a little bit how you're a trainer with the financial gym. Um, but what working with a trainer like you at the financial gym looks like and how someone could go about working with you there? Yeah. So at the financial gym, when you go on our website and you schedule a call, what you first have is what we call a warm-up call. And this is really to just get like high level information about you, learn more about what your needs are, how you find how you found the gym. And then they'll use that call to pair you with a trainer. So a trainer could be uh, myself or any one of my other colleagues. And you know, you can get paired with a trainer based on anything, whatever your preference is. If you like to work with women, if you'd like to work with a Black woman, um, if you want to focus on investing, whatever the case is, they will pair you with a trainer from there. When you get a trainer, you then have um, a what we call your financially naked session. So this is where you bear it all. You, you know, I want to hear about all your credit card debt, how much money you make, what your credit score is, any challenges that you have. And most importantly, I want to hear your goals because this doesn't work if you don't give me goals that you want to work towards, right? Like I want to hear, I want to buy a house in a year or I want to travel once a quarter. How do I make that happen, right? Tell me all your goals. I get some time to create a financial plan for you. So your financial plan will include, you know, how do you get to those goals? Well, if you want to travel, you need to save $200 a month or, you know, $1,000 or whatever the case is. I put 
together all of those goals for you. And then it's a monthly subscription. So you have access to me as your trainer. Um, we would have check-in calls should you need them. If you want to have, you know, if you have any questions, you can always jump on the phone. And we have quarterly reviews every three months. So I see quarter over quarter how well you've done. Um, if there's anything we need to course correct, if things have changed in your life drastically, like how COVID did, um, I would use that time and that quarterly review to kind of get you up to date and like reconfigure your budget if I need to. And we keep building our relationship from there. That's amazing. I mean, that sounds like such an incredible support system and just a really good way for education and accountability all at once, which is amazing. Yeah. So we'll make sure we link to the financial it. gym in the show notes so that folks can check it out. And I'm here <laughs> should they have questions. So I have a, a couple more kind of finance questions and I would love to talk about self-care with you and to learn a little bit more about your self-care before we wrap up. First, I kind of want to shake the table a little bit. I'm curious, is there a piece of kind of common financial advice that gets thrown around a lot that you disagree with and that you would tell people contrary to popular belief, like either don't do this or like not for everybody? One person that I have a challenge with is Dave Ramsey mm-hmm. and his like followers because they are very, it's kind of cultish, <laughs> but <laughs> he is very like a stickler of like no debt. You need to, you know, cut all your life expenses and you need to do all the things so that you can have no debt and just kind of live like a hermit. You can save all this money. And I don't feel like finance should be restrictive. I don't feel like managing our money should be restrictive at all. Um, Cut expenses when it makes sense for you, obviously, right? But I definitely feel like we can get creative about how we're spending money and kind of have like a a framework. It's finances is like dieting, right? You don't want to cut everything cold turkey, right? Because then that's when the diets fail. Um, Same thing with your money, right? You don't want to cut everything because then you're like, okay, I'm not motivated to save at all. So I'm just going to spend everything, right? So it's really about finding a delicate balance between treating yourself and doing the things that you enjoy while also being able to save and like build the life that you actually want in the long term. Mm, I love that. I think that's great. I mean, I think a big part of why it can be really hard for people to get their finance together outside of, of course, there's a lot of things we also know about, you know, the gender pay gap. We know that as particularly for black people in the United States, we don't have that generational wealth. Like in addition to those things that are definitely not working in our favor, the fact that conversations around money often immediately go to restriction also doesn't help matters in terms of of helping people kind of be more financially fit. And so I I love that you shared that. And I think that that's great advice. <laughs> yes, it, it just doesn't work. Like I've tried to restrict myself and then I'm like, well, but then I want to go here and I want to do this and I want to do that. And it just doesn't, it's not fun. Yeah. It's not fun at all. Yeah, you want to be able to enjoy life as well. And that's kind of the whole point. Yeah. Because you never know, like people have been dying very, you know, randomly this year. And so you still want to be able to live, live life and enjoy while you're here. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Last kind of money question. 
And just kind of wrapping up around this idea of financial fitness, right? So um, let's say someone is wanting to work on their financial fitness. They're like, okay, I've got a, a decent kind of routine down where I'm maybe automatically saving. Are there any other areas of their finances that they should be also be paying attention to to be financially fit? Or what, what does it mean to become financially fit for most people? Yeah. So even outside of like savings, because you can have like a huge savings cushion, right? But thinking about the little things, like, are you properly insured? Do you have life insurance for, you know, possible rainy day kind of situations if you have any people who are depending on p- dependent on your income, right? So understanding the life insurance conversation. I feel like we don't have that conversation enough in the Black community. And I've seen it happen very clearly for other race counterparts, that's their stepping stone to wealth generation, right? If someone has a large inheritance of like $500,000 because of a life insurance policy, their children are now $500,000 richer when they start Mm -hmm. their lives, right? Mm -hmm. So really building on life insurance, making sure that you're fully insured there. Little things like um, renter's insurance and like being proper, have the proper car insurance, right? We think we're cheaping out by not getting renter's insurance or like not having car insurance, but it's the one chance, that off chance that something bad happens that sets you back thousands of dollars where um, had you just had the right things in place, you would have been able to cover it. So it's not always about like cheaping out. And you know, I heard this quote, like, don't be penny wise, but pound foolish. And I, I suffer from it all the time. Like sometimes you just have to spend the money to know that something is done well or like that you have security. Um, but for me, that's super important. So like thinking about those other aspects of your finances and after like the whole savings and just having cash, it is those other things like investing. Do you want to buy a house, right? Because real estate is also another form of investing and like helping to be financially fit. It's not to say everyone has to buy a house, but like if you do want to buy a house, how are you going about doing that? Um, and yeah, there, there's so many things that go into financial fitness. There's like super long laundry list, but I think those are the big things. Having cash, being properly insured, understanding the goals and other ways to build wealth. I think, I mean, that's like so, so dope. And I really appreciate what you shared there, especially around insurance life insurance and the importance of that. I mean, I know in my family, we've, you know, had loved ones pass away and have had to kind of deal with the aftermath of what happens when they don't have life insurance. And so that's something that is definitely top of mind for me and something I've seen um, kind of my family deal with firsthand. And yeah, I think insurance is one of those things that's so frustrating to pay for, but like when you need it and have it, it's, it's so helpful. And I think also when it comes to conversations about money, I also think about worry, you know, like how much worry, what do I have to worry about? Because if I can minimize the things that I have to worry about, then I feel so much more free just in general. That's true. I have my life insurance policy. So I know if anything happens to me, at least, you know, bearing me won't be the hardest part for people. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, so it's hard to think about, but it's, it is important. It's super, really, really is. Oh my gosh. I had recently a part stolen off of my car. Just my car was parked 
where it's usually parked, a part <laughs> stolen off of it that led to, I think, like a $3,000 repair that thankfully wow. my car insurance fully covered. But truly just parking my car where I park it, someone stole a very expensive part and it could have like been a really bad financial situation. And it's stuff like that that is just so hard to to come out of if you're not prepared. Yeah. And, you know, I I read this quote. It said most Americans, I think it's like 70% of Americans can't handle a $400 emergency. Mm. And it's those little emergencies that set us back so far. Think about like a speeding ticket is $300. So (laughs) imagine you get one of those and that just like sets you off your, you know, your financial game. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So important. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. So, Arnella, before we wrap up, I mean, you have shared so much incredible information with us about just getting ourselves together, getting financially fit. I would also just love to talk to you a little bit about self-care and what your self-care is like these days, kind of how you've gotten through the past (laughs) year and, and what taking care of yourself has looked like for you. Yeah. So before even um, thinking about being on this podcast, like I followed the the page and I think the, the post that stood out to me the most is like just something about like making time for rest mm-hmm. because I'm definitely one of those people. It's like, okay, go, go, go. You need to do this. You need to do that. Like always talking to people, always trying to work. And I was feeling very tired. Like, why am I always working this hard all the time? So I think now it's just normalizing rest. Like, if I don't want to talk to people, I will, you know, put my phone away and not have conversations. And that's okay. Right? Before, I would never think that that's okay. But these days, it's like, that's fine. You guys will see me another time. You'll hear from me when you hear from me. Oh, that's so good. Honestly, rest is truly one of the best self-care practices that that we can ever do. Like it's truly the most critical thing I think we can do for ourselves. Yeah. And I also um, deleted my Instagram app. (laughs) I felt like these past couple of weeks have just been like so much between like the election and like COVID and everything. I'm like, I can't be on here. So allowing yourself to delete Instagram and just like remove yourself from that world is also super important. Ooh, honestly, one of the best things you can do for your mental health is like social media breaks, making it harder to access So good. So good. Thank you. So Ornella, what does being a balanced Black girl mean to you? It is about having it all and being able to say, I can confidently pay for this while not breaking the bank. Mm -hmm. And I can afford to rest. Because I think a part of us feeling like we need to work all the time is also because we're catching up and we're just like one paycheck away from like not, you know, making ends meet or not being able to pay our bills. But for me, balance is really finding that good place between having enough to pay my bills, having a cushion so that when I'm resting, I don't feel as though I'm losing out on money or I feel as though I'm um, putting myself in a negative financial state. Mm. Oh my goodness. What you said about being able to afford rest is that's major. 
That is major. Thank you so much. So how can our audience keep in touch with you if they want to work with you at the financial gym or if they're business owners who maybe want to hit you up for some consulting or bookkeeping? Where do we find you? Yeah. So at the financial gym, you can always go to thefinancialgym.com and um, set up time, um, set up a warm-up call. You can also find me on my personal Instagram at Ornella Yovo. So it's just my name. I guess you can tag that Mm -hmm. um, on the show notes as well. And my business consulting company is O Squared. So it's O-S-Q-R-D. I'll also tag that. Um, So if any entrepreneurs would like to work with me, you can always um, find us on our website and Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much. We will have that linked in the show notes to make it super easy to find. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. This was a fun, fun conversation. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Balanced Black Girl Podcast. I hope this conversation helped inspire you on your own personal self-care and well-being journey. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes and head to balanceblackworld.com for show notes and more information. If you'd like more support finding your balance, join our private membership community for self-care tools, exclusive content, and more. Visit balanceblackgirl.com slash community for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to share it with a friend. Thanks so much for tuning in.